The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Is a boat still a boat if it doesn't float? It's a question that's plagued philosophers and boat designers for centuries. And then we travel to the house. Couch, ants, ants, all over my foot. Go away. And then we travel to a house that's experiencing a little bit of problems. It's not the plumbing. It's not the lighting. Or even the neighborhood. Is there a dark spirit infesting the home of a new family? And why does it want the baby? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun out there in the world. I got ants. I got ants all over me, man. They're crawling all over my foot. But but I probably shouldn't complain. I have a roof over my head and a microphone in front of me. Life is good except for all the ants. I have ants everywhere. Get off of me. But someone who never has ants, someone who keeps their floor clean and is not littered with snacks for these invaders. I love ants, but please stay off of my legs. Someone who never brings insects when they come to a party. Everyone give it up for Darren Marlar. Yeah, wee! Everyone's cheering for Darren as he's walking into... Dead Rabbit Command. Darren is one of the amazing people I met at the Oregon Ghost Conference, and he is the host of, as far as I know, the only other daily paranormal podcast, and that is a podcast called Weird Darkness. He's been doing it for seven years. We've been doing this show for five years. When we met, both of us thought we were the only daily paranormal podcast, but he, listen, He's going to be our captain, our pilot, and we'll get into that in a second. But I'm telling you, Darren's just such a great guy. He's super humble. He's super nice. And he has a great podcast. So if you're looking for even more daily paranormalness, check out Weird Darkness. It really is a cool podcast. It's a lot of fun. I've been having fun listening to it lately. It's the same thing. It's kind of the same setup where it's multiple stories per episode, which I always love. And it's a lot of stories I've never heard of either. So really check it out. Weird darkness. And Darren, we talked a lot during the conference. He's a really good guy. Like, that's the great combination, right? When you see someone who's in the game, in the paranormal research world, and also just a genuinely cool dude. So, Darren, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. And all of you guys are cool dudes. I don't want to say just he's cool. You're like, oh, man, I thought I was cool, too. You are cool, too. And another way to be cool is to spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. Get the word out there. That can help the show grow. Darren, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. Let's all hop on board. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. Drive us all the way out to Chicago. 
We're headed out to Chicago. It's July 24th, 1915. So we're all like sepia toned and stuff. We got wool clothes. We're all itching. I'm itching because I got ants. I was like, oh no, there's ants in the past too. They're like, yeah, Jason, ants have been around for millions of years. Like, oh no, ants are all climbing up my wool pants. I got sugar cubes in my pockets. July 24th, 1915, we're in Chicago. Specifically, we are at the Chicago River. And we're watching this boat. It's all like tied up to the docks. It's a big boat. It's a passenger ship called the SS Eastland. And we're kind of like chilling. We're eating like old timey foods, apples and cheeses, cheese wedges, and nom nom nom. You know, <laughs> I got a bunch of ants. Right before it gets in my mouth, the ants devoured. I'm like, oh man, I'm so hungry. We're sitting there. We're watching all these people board the SS Eastland, aka. The Speed Queen of the Great Lakes. So the fastest boat on these big bodies of water. Once you got it out into the ocean, it was kind of slow. But the Speed Queen of the Great Lakes. And we're watching all of these families kind of getting on board. And we see like little kids being like, Papa, Papa, is it time for the company picnic? Yes, my son, yes. As we slowly march towards this boat, everyone, everyone in line, dream of the picnic that awaits on the other side of this lake. There will be blankets, hopefully, hopefully, right? They provided all the stuff. The boss is like, no, but who you guys brought your own food and your own blankets? They're like, oh, man. The company picnic, it was the Western Electric Company. Specifically, it was the Western Electric Company's Hawthorne Works Factory Picnic. Try fitting that on a try fitting that on a big old banner. And the way that it worked back in 1915 is that basically you got a job and then you just worked there until you either retired or were ground up or killed in some massive electrical accident. And you're like, yes, I'm a superhero. We find a way. Unless you became a superhero or were killed on site. Or I'm sure people also just quit. It wasn't like indentured servitude. Well, a lot of these people were immigrants. A lot of these people were immigrants and they came to the area and they're like, you, sir, you look like a guy who loves electricity. <laughs> Their hair's all sticking up. It's Yahoo serious getting off the boat. They're like, you, sir, you look like you would love to get electrocuted every single day. Why don't you come work for the Hawthorne Works plant? And you didn't get any days off. It was pretty much, well, I'm sure you got like a couple days off every now and then. But for the most part, the company picnics were the vacation. I think they got days off, but they didn't really get vacation. So this was a big deal. So as a little boy's like, Papa, Papa, we can finally play that game that people are talking about. Football. And the dad's like, yes, I have brought on a pigskin myself. I, I made it myself. It's not to specifications. It's the size of a real pig. Sewn together, filled with dirty newspapers. But we will throw it, my son. We will have time, just you and me and the hundreds of other employees of the company. We're going to get on this boat. You, me, my love, my beautiful wife, newborn children. <laughs> newborn children, as far as the eye can see. Look at, look, son, look at all these innocent people standing behind us. Oh, what a journey we're going to have on the SS Eastland. The picnic is in Michigan City, which curiously is in Indiana. Michigan City in Indiana, right across the Great Lakes. So you got all of the all of the people getting on board this boat for this big giant picnic. Now the Eastland. So the thing with this boat is basically 
as you were, if you were just like a person getting on the boat, you didn't know a bunch of stuff. You didn't, they didn't have like a placard on the boat as you're getting on board. They're like, would you like to know the history of this ship? And you're like, yeah, sure. And then the captain's all covering it up. And he's like, well, too bad. Too bad. You don't get to know it. You don't get to know it. It's not a secret. This boat had some issues. Its maiden voyage was in May of 1903. Two months later, it crashed into a tugboat. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, that'll happen. Boats will kind of bump into each other. A couple so that was in May. So two months later, so June, in July, it crashed into a tugboat. In August, there was a mutiny. <laughs> this is like in the Great Lakes. This isn't out in the middle of the ocean. What happened was. The SS Eastland was traveling across the Great Lakes and the firemen, those are the people who threw, who like stoked the fire in the boiler. They're like, oh man, I wish I had, wish I had more education. I could work in electricity, but instead I just have this pole and I'm like hitting coals and stuff in the boiler. Come on, fire, get bigger. And they did not get their potatoes. This is totally true. This is hilarious. So there was a couple guys who were working, I was thinking like five dudes who were working in the boiler and they were like, oh man, this sure is a hot job. But you know what I'd love right now is my potatoes. My paid, apparently I'm paid in potatoes. My entire family, we just eat nothing but potatoes. Our house is made of potatoes and I need to add a new floor. So I can't wait to get my potatoes. And apparently the captain or whatever was like, forgot. I don't know if he forgot or he ate them all. He's like, oh, he's like, oh, I don't think those, five, I don't think those five people who powered the boat will mind they have no food because I ate them all. I don't know what he did with them. But so the boiler, the firemen in the boiler room, they're like, where are our potatoes? And the captain's like, well, you're not going to get any potatoes. As he's, He's wiping butter off of his lips. He's like, mm, you're not going to get any of those sweet, sweet potatoes. They mutinied. They refused to put more. They refused to stoke the fire or shovel coal in it or whatever. They're like, we're not doing it until we get potatoes. And this became a big, this became a big issue because now you're stranded in the middle of the Great Lakes. The only way to power the boat is apparently powered by potatoes. If you really get down to it, the captain had to pull a gun out and be like, get out of the way, get out of the way. And he had to have other guys. You know, obviously you could train somebody to do it. I could poke a fire for a while and be like, oh, you know, the boat's moving slow, but it's moving, right? So it was this mutiny, and they eventually like got to land, and the guys got fired. I think they went to jail, and the prison's like, ah, oh, you won't like it here in jail. You eat nothing but potatoes. And they're like, yay, we should mutiny more often. Anyways, it wasn't just that, because that would be funny, right? You would want to know that at some point there was a mutiny on your boat, as long as you weren't on the boat during the mutiny. The big problem with this boat was that it kept getting sold to different owners. And each time someone bought the boat, they started doing modifications to it. And so they go, the boat, this was before it had the reputation of being the Speed Queen. One of the owners, it kept changing hands and people kept modifying it. It was a passenger ship, so they're putting some more luxurious stuff on it to get like a higher level of clientele. But they also started going, we need to make it faster. We need to make it faster, and if it's possible to be able to move it with less firemen, even better. The modifications started to make it heavier. So by May of 1904, it had only been around for about a year at this point, it won a boat race. This is when it, it got so fast it became the speed queen of the Great Lakes. But it also was so heavy, it 
would you know boats have this huge thing with like ballast they're constantly making sure everything's balanced out now 99 percent of boats it's not a huge issue this boat it would pull up to the dock and you would start loading stuff onto the boat and it would start to list it would start to tip to one side and they're like okay put more of that stuff over here like move the boxes over here and then they'd finally get it just right and then the boat would go to the other side and they'd be like, man, this sure was crazy that when we loaded the boat, it almost tipped over. Surely when we're unloading it, that won't happen. And they would unload the boat and it would start to tip over and they'd have to like really, really try to scramble because I'm sure every boat has a little bit of balance issues in that process. It was tipping. Like it was noticeably tipping. People were like, ah, people are trying to eat their potatoes. They're sliding off. They're like, oh no, my weekly paycheck. Why did, it, why did it have to be so rollable? Ah, it's all rolling into the water. It nearly capsized. At a certain point, you had 3,000 passengers on it, and that's when the boat almost completely tipped over. And they're like, okay, we were able to cover up, we were able to cover up the slight listing before, but when you have 3,000 witnesses being like, ah, the, the marble tournament that was going on was completely a waste, they go, okay, we got to do something. So they lowered the max capacity to 2,800. They go, okay, it almost tipped over at 3,000. Maybe if we remove 200 people, and that wasn't enough, obviously. So they then began removing cabins. They again, all this luxury stuff they did. They're like, get rid of it. The boat's too heavy. This is dangerous. It was still too heavy. At that point, this is something that you should have seen in the news. Like, I mean, you could try covering it up. You could try doing it in the middle of the Great Lakes where there are no witnesses. But apparently, they began removing parts of the smokestack. It was too heavy. It was too top-heavy. And imagine you're, like, sitting there and you're drinking your coffee in Chicago and you're like, that's weird. I'm pretty... <laughs> it was Mandela effect. That boat got much shorter than it was just a few days ago. Like, it visible changes to the boat. It was still too heavy, but they go, okay, listen, we think we've stabilized this. Everything looks good. It's better than it was. It's no longer about to tip over when a bunch of people are on board. We're good to go. And that helps a lot. That really does help a lot. But by the year 1914, they start doing modifications again to kind of like revitalize the boat to try to fix some stuff. It's getting heavy again. And in the year 1915, there is a thing called the Seaman's Act. Seaman's Act. And this was a law after the Titanic that every boat needed enough lifeboats for every passenger. Which sounds good in practice and in theory. It just sounds good in general. But it made the East Land too heavy. Like that was going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. On July 24th, 1915, it's 7.10 in the morning, you have 2,572 passengers getting on this boat. Remember, max capacity is like 2,800. Well, on July 24th, 1915, all of this comes to a head. It's 7.10 in the morning, and the Eastland is being boarded by 2,572 passengers. And as they're boarding, the boat starts to list. And the people on the boat, like the crew who knows what they're doing, they're like, let's just add water to the ballast tanks and balance it out. It'll be totally fine. <laughs> It'll be totally fine. They reassure themselves. 
Papa, Papa, hold my hand and take me into the boat, please, the little boy says. Ah, yes, Billy, you've always been so curious about how boats work. (laughs) You've always been a big boat, had some weird boat fetish. I don't know where you got it from. Maybe your mother. Let's walk into this boat together. All the families come onto this boat. Let's get on here. Everyone crowd onto one side of the boat, the man said. It's right on the port. This boat has not left. Like, you had Chicago just kind of going about its business. It's seven ten in the morning. People are just walking down the street. Buses, trolleys, probably a couple horses, right? It's 1915. It's really cold day on the lake. So you do have people standing on the deck of the boat, but for the most part, they were going into the bowels of the ship because it was warmer. Ah, we stood in that line all that time, Billy. All that time I looked at my son and thought, what a beautiful grown-up you'll be someday. As I rubbed your head. He had some bald spot. I was rubbing it the whole time they were in the line. He's like, ouch, Dad. Stop it, stop it. Let's go into the bowels of the ship and stay warm with my family and my pregnant wife. I got her pregnant while we were in line, too. It's crazy line. And our newborn babies. The boat is sitting there at the dock. And then it just you know it's funny. Let me read you this quote. This is really interesting. This was from a witness. This was from a witness of it because I don't think I can put it any better than how he explained it. This was written by this guy ended up becoming a famous author later in life but his name is Jack Woodford. He he was standing there just minding his own business. He wasn't there to get on the boat. He was just standing near the docks. And he says, quote, And then movement caught my eye. I looked across the river. As I watched in disoriented stupefaction, a steamer as large as an ocean liner slowly turned over slowly turned over on its side as though it were a whale going to take a nap. I didn't believe a huge steamer had done this before my eyes, lashed to a dock, in perfectly calm water, in excellent weather, with no explosion, no fire, nothing. I thought I had gone crazy. But that's exactly what happened. It just, and it's right on the dock. It just went boop and rolled over. Its port side was completely submerged. The starboard side of the boat was sticking out. The water that it was floating on, because again, we're at the port, was only 20 feet deep. So when the boat just rolled over onto its port side, you had a huge portion of the ship completely underwater, and then the starboard side was just sticking out. And it happened, They remember, they're trying to fill the ballast, they're trying to stop it, but when it rolled, it happened so quickly that whether or not you survived this came down to where you were at seconds before it happened. And that's how we see a lot of these disasters play out. You had people who were on the deck of the ship who were immediately submerged underwater. 
you had people who were inside the ship, but on the starboard side. When that ship rolled, you had to scramble up and crawl out of a porthole. And now you're standing on the side of a boat. Your feet from the pier. The emergency crew showed up and they're like, what do we do? Like, I mean, obviously get in there and start saving people. But you have emergency crews that are all set up for, like, rescuing boats in the middle of nowhere. And you have fire crews that are for, like, putting out fires of boats or, you know, putting out fires of buildings. Now you have a boat that's literally, like, you could, people could walk on and off of the boat. It's that close. Remember, you had 2,500, what was it, 78 people, 72 people on the ship. 844 people died like that. The entire death count was almost instant. Because when that boat rolled, you either drowned within a minute or you were crushed. They said furniture, pianos, which would be kind of funny, which would be kind of funny way to die, right? Crushed by a piano. When that boat tipped, it was just the furniture was just crushing people. And then I would say pick your poison, right? Like, would you rather be crushed to death by a piano or a falling cabinet or drowned? And, you know, like you get down, you're like, man, it sure is cold out there. I can't wait to go in this little cabin. And then the next thing you know, it's instantly full of water. And there's no escape. You're in a boat that's tipped over. Not only do you have to try to swim out, but you don't know where to go. You've probably never been on this boat before. And everything is sideways. People instantly drowned. People were instantly crushed. People were crushed and then drowned. This was one of those cases that became a big legal suit. Against, like, the engineers who built the boat. Because obviously with that amount of... You had the issue of that many people dying. And then you had, like, the socioeconomic factor. You go, these people were all immigrants. They were all being exploited by their company. They are basically forced to go on these picnics. Because they never got any holidays. And became this big thing. But what happened was the lawsuit went nowhere. The criminal charges went nowhere. Because the engineers said, listen, we built the boat in 1903. And it had been sailing all this time. And you were able, they were able to say, like the original company who owned the boat got sued and all this stuff. They go, listen, there were all these modifications made. Re- really did it was all the lifeboats. And I also wanted to cover this because we talk about this a lot on the podcast too, where people see things. Normally we talk about it when we're talking about the paranormal, where you see something and your brain can't make sense of it. We talk about it when like someone sees an alien and they're like, I don't even know what I was looking at. Or they see a ghost and they're like, it was just, I can't figure it out. And sometimes people's brain has a circuit breaker on it where when you see something that your brain can't comprehend, it just basically kind of flips and it protects your brain from perceiving the unknown. I've That's happened to me. There's been ghostly encounters I've had that I haven't remembered until years later like i'll just be sitting there and i'll be like i had a a creepy encounter i'll put the episode in the show notes but i had a creepy encounter i knew that i saw something but i didn't know what it was and then years later i just remembered what i had seen standing outside that bathroom door and my brain just couldn't handle it if i if i had processed what i was seeing at that time while it was happening it probably would have had a heart attack it was absolutely terrifying so i could See, and and I think that this is an example of that. It's a real-life example of that. He saw the boat just go, doop. But that's impossible. Boats don't do that. That's impossible. Not without an explosion, not without a heavy wave. To see a boat just flip. Not that slow, 
list? Is the waves good at crashing against it? No, he just saw it go... That he thought he was going crazy. I thought I had gone crazy. That was his actual quote. His brain could not perceive what he was looking at. Fascinating story, and it's a good example of that. Even though that was a a real-life example, it can show that sometimes your brain goes, that's not real. He's looking at it. He's looking at it, and he can't comprehend it. That's not real. Fascinating story. That story took a lot longer than I thought it was going to, uh, but I really enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed it, too. Darren, hold on one second. I'm going to find another story here to toss in. We're going to save the Freya story. That's the name of the little girl. We're going to save that one for tomorrow. Give me one second here. Let me pull something else up. I got dozens of stuff to talk about. Let's trade one baby for another. Darren, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Chicago, waving goodbye to the soaking wet survivors of the Eastland. We see little Billy. He's waving at us. We're like, Billy, he made it. He made it. We're like, how's your family? He's all shaking his head. Shaking his head. We're like, sorry, man. Sorry. And he's like, take me with you. Take me into the future. I'm an orphan. I'm an orphan. Billy, go ahead and hop on board, too. We're going to pick you up and disrupt the time-space continuum by stealing this orphan. We're flying out of Chicago. Darren, take us all the way out to an apartment complex. We're introducing Billy to all the great things of the 21st century. Hanging out, drinking Mountain Dews, he's skateboarding. He has on a sepia tone cap sideways. He's skateboarding. He's like, "Wow, the future's amazing." We're like, "Yeah, it's pretty dope, dude." We're hanging out. What you call it? Bars, as far as the eye can see. We're headed to this apartment complex to find Billy a place to stay. He can't stay here. I already have ten thousand roommates, and we're gonna meet this young woman. We're gonna go ahead and call her Samantha. Now, Samantha says. Let me tell you this story. When I was growing up, I lived in this apartment complex with my mom. And Samantha goes, it was a weird apartment. It was a very weird place because it felt heavy. It felt heavy. Billy's like, no, no, it's having flashbacks. He's like, don't use the word heavy. Uh, Can't even use heavy cream when I'm baking. (laughs) She goes, the place felt heavy. That was her exact word. She goes, it felt heavy, it felt oppressive, it felt dark. She said, even when you had all of the blinds open, right? Even when you had all of the curtains open, you had all this natural lighting coming in and the windows open and this cool breeze entering the apartment, it still felt off. Something was wrong with this apartment. She said once when she was home, she heard the sound of dishes crashing to the floor. Obviously alarming, you would figure. Burglar. Clumsy burglar who only steals plates. And you go into the kitchen and there's nothing broken on the ground. That's a weird audio hallucination, but maybe hallucination. You're not necessarily thinking ghosts right away. Sometimes you'd wake up in the middle of the night and you would feel someone staring at you. You look around in the darkness. There's no one there. Maybe I'm just having a bad dream. Maybe just having a bad dream. 
Samantha says <laughs> as she rolls over. She wakes up, there's a broken plate right next to her. Ah. Like, you would start to put two and two together. At a certain point, you'd be like, okay, maybe, like, one thing. Maybe maybe the, hallucin- maybe the hallucinations of sounds. Maybe that's just me going crazy. But, well, maybe me waking up in the middle of the night and being paranoid. Maybe that's also being me being crazy. Sometimes you... Th- this is so standard. This is such a standard ghost thing. Toys activating... When no one's using them. So like you buy your daughter a little speak and say. The cow goes. The duck goes. You know one of those things right. And then you're sitting there. You're just watching television one day. And you hear from the other room. The duck goes. And you're like what? That's that's what a duck sounds like. I never knew. I bought that toy for my daughter. But I never enjoyed it myself. And then you realize your daughter's sitting right next to you. And you realize your daughter's 16. She goes, why did you buy that for me? <laughs> I'm not going to use it. She's texting on her phone. You're like, what? The idea of toys activating when no one's using them. It's pretty standard ghost stuff. But Samantha kicked it up a notch. She goes, not only were these toys being used without anyone activating them, they didn't even have any batteries in them. So you'd have like the little toy... Doll, Bratz doll or whatever she was playing with. Bratz are fabulous. It's like this doll house where you put the Bratz in. Passion for fashion. It has all these catchphrases and stuff. And eventually the mom's like, oh my God. Oh my God, why did I buy that for you? I'm taking the batteries out. It's the middle of the night and you hear, I dress for success. And I success at dress. <laughs> They're like... Not only are they ugly dolls, they're grammatically incorrect. Passion for fashion. And you're like, what? I know I took the batteries out of that. I'm pretty sure I smelted the batteries down. I didn't even want to put them in another device. I'd be afraid that that brat's energy would carry over to my smoke alarm. Toys activating without batteries. So that's stepping it up a notch. Well, the reason why I'm talking about this, while all of that stuff is kind of interesting right like i said yesterday if you're in it if it's happening to you right now it's the most interesting haunting in the world but the reason why i wanted to talk about it this particular event in particular is because i think there is a philosophical question one can ask how mean i mean i guess that's how i'm seeing it but should you be cruel to Should you be cruel to a baby ghost? Should you be cruel to a baby ghost? Because what would happen is you'd have all these other activities. You'd have someone staring at you while you're sleeping, dishes smashing, passion for fashion, all that stuff. And then you'd hear a baby crying. It wouldn't all happen. It wouldn't all happen on the same afternoon. You're like, uh, you get up from school, you're trying to do homework. You're like, I'm not even going to get checked. I'm not even going to check on that this time. I really got to study for this algebra test. Look at my handbag. Look at my handbag. Passion for fashion. Like, it wasn't all happening at once, but it happened every so often. But what the the big kicker was, was you'd hear a baby crying. A That's going to upset you. Right? You can throw away the toy. 
you can just ignore the person who's staring at you while you're sleeping. Because you're like, after the eighth night of that, you're like, you're not doing going to do anything to me. I'm just going to sleep anyways. And it's like, you called my bluff. You called my bluff. I'm going to go knock over some phantom dishes. But a baby crying, that's kind of hard to ignore. And they would hear it constantly. Now, I don't know if that means, like, it happened every day or if it never stopped. Like, once it started, you're like, oh, my God, it's been six weeks by now. (laughs) But it would happen a lot until the mother, until Samantha's mother figured something out. This is probably super sacrilegious. (laughs) <laughs> Let me rephrase that. This is definitely sacrilegious. The mother would take holy water and pour it in the toilet and then the baby would stop crying for three months. And Samantha said, we figured out it was three months because she'd pour the holy water in the toilet and the baby stopped crying. And you'd be like, oh, finally some peace and quiet, And then, three months later... And they're like, oh, are you kidding me, dude? And so the mom would have to go get more holy water and pour it in the toilet. And she goes, that carried on. That carried on for quite quite a while. My mom knew when to pour more holy water in. It was every three months. She wouldn't put it in until the baby started crying. She wouldn't, like, you know, preemptively strike it out. But after three months... She'd break out that holy water because that baby would start crying and then she'd pour it in the toilet and the baby crying would go away. This is one of those stories where I would like to have way more information on. It was posted online by someone going by the name KindAd3058. It's always hard to like message someone and be like, hey, where do you live? (laughs) I'm a random guy on the internet. Where do you live? Where did this story take place? Even if she didn't used, even if she doesn't live there now, Sometimes it's tricky giving out past addresses because then you can still kind of narrow down areas. And she may still live there or at least live in the area. It's a fascinating story. Anything that's repeatable like that to a paranormal investigator is top notch. Because then you can actually start to test things. But stepping out of the role of a paranormal investigator, is it... It's probably pretty messed up to pour holy water in a toilet. I'm not a Catholic myself. I imagine the priest would kind of look down on it. They're like, hey, uh, Nancy, it's so nice to see you back at the parish. Welcome to church or whatever we call it. Welcome to my cathedral, the priest said. He gloated as he's standing on a golden throne. It's all mine. And Nancy goes, hey, yeah, it's pretty cool here. Can I have some more of that holy water that you've been splashing around so freely? And the priest goes, yeah, sure. But didn't I just give you like, didn't I just give you 10 gallons of holy water three months ago? And she's like, yeah, yeah, but I do a lot of holy stuff. So I need extra holy water. And, and he's like, oh, sure, I can, you know, did you bring water with you? He's like the laziest priest ever. He won't even get up to get his own water. And then he blesses it and she takes it home. Is it, and he doesn't, I don't think he would want her pouring it in the toilet. I think if he found that out, he'd probably be like, well, I don't know, maybe put it in a vase. Or something like that. Or sprinkle it in the hallway. I don't know. Just not the toilet. Just not the toilet. That's not where that should go. But you, here's my question. 
Is it okay to be cruel to a baby ghost? Now, sure, the ghost could have been a demon pretending to be a baby. Fair. But if it wasn't, if it, if it was just a baby ghost and he's manifesting into our world and he's like, me, and he's like floating down the hallway like little Casper guy, but you can't see him, so you don't know how cute he is. You just hear a baby crying in your house. Is it okay? <laughs> is it okay to get rid of him? And I guess, I guess the answer to that is yes. Yes, Jason, if you hear a phantom child crying all day long for months on end, yes, Jason, you're allowed to get rid of him. But should you do it? This is my thing. This is my thing. Yeah, if I had a baby crying in my house and he was a ghost baby, um, <laughs> he'd be on guests on the podcast. I'd bring him on all the time. It's like, hey, ghost baby, tell us what it's like in the afterlife. But here's my thing. It would, okay. My thing is, it seems so cruel to get rid of a baby ghost by pouring holy water in a toilet. Like, that just seems disrespectful to not only the holy water, but the baby. I mean, it worked. Right? You can't knock success, right? You can't beat the results. But, like, if I was a ghost, we talked about that a lot on yesterday's episode. I'm not going to go on another rant. But if I was a ghost and someone was like, Jason... Go into the light. You died. You died. And I was like, what? Huh? Huh? And then I was like, oh, okay. I'll listen to this strange voice. I'm walking. I'm standing at the grocery store one day. Some guy goes, you died. You died. It's like, oh, I better just walk out of here and find the brightest place to walk into. They're like, Jason, you're a ghost. You've been dead for 10 years. But to you, it's only been two minutes. Go into the light. Go into the light. And I'm like swimming towards the light, right? And then I get to heaven. And I was like, oh, that was a pretty chill way to go, right? That was Those people were super respectful. That was pretty cool. They treated me good. And I float into heaven. And then I'm like arm wrestling angels for the next 10,000 years. But if I died and I'm a ghost and some, I'm like just floating around, I'm like confused. I go, what, huh? That was weird. I was just sitting here watching YouTube. And then to me... It was a blink of an eye, but all of a sudden there's like a family in my house and what's all this? It's clean. Where are all the ants? Where are all the ants? Ants bros, where did you go? There's no crumbs on the floor. The garbage is taken out. What is this madness? What has happened to the world? And in reality, 10 years has passed. But to me, I just like died. And because it took me so long to manifest, I'm confused. I don't know why I'm in this house with books on bookshelves and pillowcases on pillows. I'm like, ah, is this hell? Is this what eternity in damnation is going to look like? And then there's like a family of four in my place. And they're like watching television. They're like, the Big Bang Marathon's coming up, guys. I'm like, oh, no, no, this is the worst. This is the worst fate. I don't know what's going on. So all of a sudden I'm like smashing stuff and I'm I'm like a chaotic spirit at first. Oh, yesterday's episode, yes, I did go on at length about how evil I was going to be as a ghost. But let's pretend that you didn't listen to that episode and I'm just confused at this point. I'm a confused spirit. I'm not purposely confused. And they go, you know what? They eventually realize that their place is haunted. They realize, right? They realize that something's wrong with their house. The lights are flickering. Every time they're trying to play a video game, I'm standing behind their character. 
I'm making them miss their shots. They're like, oh, why am I so bad at Fortnite all of a sudden? I'm like kicking their characters in the video game. <laughs> Apparently I'm Freddy Krueger. I can do anything. I'm, I have all these powers. But I'm confused. <laughs> you should feel bad for me. You should feel bad for me. I'm doing this on purpose. I'm standing at the edge of their bed playing with their feet. They're like, ah, there's a ghost. There's a ghost. I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this. But it sure is it sure is funny to spoof this family out. I'm finding the baby. I'm like whispering stuff into its ear. I'm like, dude, your parents hate you. You're adopted. You don't even know what adopted means. But I'm confused. I'm doing all this stuff out of confusion. And so instead of like getting rid of me in a respectful way, not super disrespectful. I was the wrong example. I was the wrong example for this. My point is because I'm such a villain. I'd be the worst ghost possible. But the point is, is that they go, it, sure, it works. Sure, you pour holy water in the toilet and they disappear for a couple months. It works, but it's so disrespectful. <laughs> so disrespectful, says the shadow demon living in your cupboards. He's like, oh, come on, man. Treat me with some respect. You know what I mean? Like, there's easier ways, more polite ways to get rid of a ghost, especially a baby ghost. He doesn't even know what life is. He died when he was a baby. And now you're pouring holy water in a toilet. And he's like, well, I guess I got to go now. But like, I don't know. Why don't instead of bringing the holy water from the priest, I'll just bring the priest. Maybe he can make my little baby body float away. But instead, you got to pour holy water in a toilet, which is super disrespectful to not only the holy water, but to me... And it doesn't, it's not permanent. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's cruel to the baby. Because he's there and he doesn't know why he's there. But maybe that's just me. And and I also think, you're like, yes, yes, that's totally just you. That's totally just you. Nobody else is like, oh, that poor, that poor damned baby. That poor spirit from beyond the realm of the living. <laughs> Where's his rights? He's breaking, he's breaking blades. He's breaking phantom blades. I don't know if it's the same spirit. Well, he's playing with toys, but. Yeah, I think he does. I don't want to necessarily say he has rights, but I think there is a polite way to deal with ghosts. It was interesting. I don't remember who the speaker was because I was walking around goofing off during the Oregon Ghost Conference. But Sabine was with me and she said one of the speakers, <laughs> here's a quote from a speaker. I don't know who it was. I wasn't even there. But Sabine, you know, she's not a big believer in a lot of this stuff. She's my friend. She goes, he gave a really good presentation on not antagonizing ghosts. Because a lot of ghost hunters, especially like the professional ones, the ones on TV, will be like, show yourself. Possess my, <laughs> possess my intern here. Possess him, make his head spin around. He's like, oh no, the intern's like, not again. I just got back from the chiropractor. <laughs> his head spinning around. It was a really interesting quote from a guy that I don't remember his name, but it was, don't antagonize ghosts. Don't go to haunted locations and start asking them and provoking them because at the end of the day, ghosts were people too. They had all the hopes and dreams and all the fears and frustrations that humans had, and now they're in a, in, they are in a confused state. This is not the natural order to be a ghost. So we should treat them with some modicum of respect. So I think pouring holy, while it worked, 
I don't think it's super respectful to the baby. Because the baby was in need and may still be in need, right? Especially if you had another family move into that apartment and they didn't have access to unlimited holy water. They didn't even have access to that faith or any faith, right? They're just dealing with this crying baby. You probably just move out, you probably break your lease, but they didn't solve the problem permanently. They just did this thing, and in the end of the day, it was so... I feel it was disrespectful to that ghost. But it's possible it was a demon. <laughs> we don't care. It's possible it was some eternal tormentor who was taking the form of a baby, and then in that case, don't care. But that is a good quote from someone I don't remember. Ghosts were people, too, and there should be a level of respect in dealing with them. And we should be working towards getting... If they, if they do want to get to the other side, like my haunted closet... That ghost is chill here. He's totally fine. I've talked about that on a past episode. I'll put it in the show notes. But the haunted closet, that ghost likes to be here. So I'm not trying to get him to move out. But if they are in that confused state, if they do feel like they don't know where they're at, they don't know why they're in the predicament they are, we should treat them with respect, not pour holy water into a toilet of all places just to get rid of the situation for a couple months. Ghosts were people too. A wise man once said. And he's right. And paranormal investigators should always remember that. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. 